We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber. poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Touch-free QR code payments. No seller fees until 2021. Not applicable to PayPal here transactions. Other fees may apply. Shop safe with PayPal. The following podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be sent to DeSantisProd at gmail.com. From the shores of Malibu, where the waves are pumping, to Las Vegas, Nevada, where Habib Nurmagomedov and Conor McGregor are just a few weeks away from fighting. Uh, we are live. It's Time Radio. Bruce Buffer. I'm not Bruce. I'm TJ DeSantis. I am the producer, Buffer, uh, fresh back from his Russian excursion doing his uh, work over there for the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Uh, some jet lag involved with that trip back, and uh, we decided to let uh, Buff get a little rest in between podcasts here. So uh, we're going to do a best of show, but fear not. Buffer scheduled to be back next Thursday, and uh, we'll have an exciting guest then. And uh, we'll look ahead to uh, a stretch where uh, a lot of fight talk is going to be thrown around as we get ready for what could be the- at T-Mobile, you can get two powerful iPhone 11 Pros on us. The three cameras are perfect for capturing my DIY projects. I'm repainting our car. Wow, the ultra-wide camera really captures all the uh, flames. Switch today and get two new lines for 90 bucks, plus two iPhone 11 Pros on us with qualifying trading. For well-qualified customers, plus taxes and fees, essentials plan with auto pay, phone via 24 credits. If you cancel before 24 credits, remaining balance on full price of $999.99 for each device may be due. Contact us. Qualifying port ins and finance agreements required. Biggest UFC of the year in UFC 229. It is October 6th, Las Vegas, Nevada. Habib Nurmagomedov defends his 155-pound title against Conor McGregor, the notorious Conor McGregor. I can hardly uh, contain myself as we get closer and closer to fight week coming up for UFC 229. Um, on this broadcast, we're going to go back in the archive. If you don't know, Bruce and I have done this podcast for uh, a long time, uh, like a decade plus. And uh, from time to time, we like to dig into the vault and share a old podcast episode with you that maybe you haven't heard for a while or maybe you missed in the 300 or whatever episodes we've done. I think like we're near 370 or something like that. Uh, look at your phone right now. The number's next to the name of this episode. I don't have it in front of me right now, though. So uh, on this broadcast, we're going to go back and play a interview that we did. Actually, I'm going to play the entire show um, that we interviewed uh, Robert O'Neill. He is a U.S. Navy SEAL. And the reason that Bruce and I decided to play this interview is because 
you know, we're a week and some change removed from 9-11. We talked about 9-11 on our last uh, episode, um, you know, a, a tragic day in American history. And it got us, you know, thinking about um, where we were on that day. And then Bruce and I were talking off the air and we said, hey, why don't we do Robert O'Neill next week? Because, of course, Buffer's going to be uh, pretty tired coming back from Russia. Uh, give, him, give him some time to rest up. And uh, we'll play the interview from the man who is claimed to have delivered the final shots, the final play an interview with play an interview. Why don't we play an interview with the man who has been credited with uh, eliminating the threat that was Osama bin Laden. He talks about that mission, talks about how he uh, became a Navy SEAL and um, yeah, has a variety of interesting things uh, that he hits on in this interview. So uh, check it out. Plus, it's also kind of neat to see where we were in the world when this interview was recorded. Um, off the top of my head, I think it's May of 2017. So uh, some time has passed, but uh, some cool stuff in this show regardless. So, uh, yeah, sit back, relax, and check it out. Um, as always, you can uh, follow us on Twitter, at Bruce Buffer, at TJ DeSantis. Uh, Bruce is on Instagram, at Bruce Buffer UFC. I am also on Instagram, at TJ DeSantis. Um, that's pretty much it. Sit back, relax, enjoy a best of edition of It's Time. Thanks for listening. We'll talk next week. Hey, Bruce, ever since we've podcast together and talk about mixed martial arts, I've had listeners hit me up, friends, family say, you know, hey, who's going to win this fight? Who should I put my money on? And I know for a fact you get the same questions and you answer the same way every time. You don't exactly say who people should put their money on, but you do have a place where all of our listeners can go and lay down some cash and do it in the best way possible. You got to check out a place called mybookie.com. See, here's a key thing, TJ. Whatever you're betting, it's just as important as to know who you're betting with. Right. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. And trust me, guys, they are your best bet this season. Here's the key reasons, TJ. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews online when I check them out. And their mobile site is easy to use. You lay down some cash, and hopefully you win big today. I was talking about fights, but my bookie is not just a fight bookie. It's, uh, you know, there for the NFL, baseball. Uh, everything from top to bottom. This is a full service online bookie. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win. Believe me, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you guys that like fantasy out there, mm -hmm. you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player is going to score each game. That's huge. And I think we got a little bit of a, a deal going on with uh, my bookie that if our listeners go over there and use the promo code buffer upon uh, their first deposit, we will match their initial deposit dollar for dollar. Exactly. So when you go to mybookie.com, use promo code BUFFER, all in capitals, B-U-F-F-E-R, to activate that offer. So visit mybookie online today. That's mybookie, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code BUFFER when creating your account to claim the bonus. It's real simple. Here it is. You play, you win, you get paid. <laughs> It's time with Bruce Buffer. And now it's time for the voice of mixed martial arts. We are it's Bruce Buffer. Bruce Buffer. It's time. From the shores of Malibu where the waves are puffing. 
to the Great Wall of China and back to the streets of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, where the UFC is coming. We are live. This is It's Time Radio, the show where we talk about what you think about but may be afraid to voice. Do not worry. We will voice it for you. We talk about everything on It's Time. News, current events, UFC, movies, TV, everything happening around the world. It's sex, drugs, rock and roll, no holes barred conversation on It's Time. And we are here today with a really fantastic show. I'm with my co-host, TJ DeSantis. We have a very special guest. And TJ, I'm sure you're excited about this guest today because this was a coup to get this man on. Yeah, no, this is exciting. This is, uh, you know, someone that has experienced uh, things that have had movies written about it. And, um, you know, uh, while it's a celebrated uh, moment, it's also sort of a tragic moment, too, that the world comes to these terrible, horrible things. But, uh, I mean... Why don't you tell everyone who we're talking to and, and what's what's happening today? Well, with the horrid things happening with the ISIS and everything going on around the world, the attacks in Manchester, all these horrific things, we have on one of our fine warriors of the United States of America, a former U.S. Navy SEAL, always to be a U.S. Navy SEAL, uh, Robert O'Neill, the man who shot Osama bin Laden. He's on our show today. Uh, he was also involved in the rescue of Captain Phillips, in which the movie was made. Um, there's a lot to talk about with him. We're going to have a very in-depth conversation, and he'll be coming on in about uh, 10 or 12 minutes. Uh, let's go over a few things before that. We always do talk about passings on the show, and uh, my again, my best wishes and condolences go out to the family of Sir Roger Moore, uh, one of the more popular actors to play James Bond. He died uh, last Tuesday at his, in Switzerland, uh, he had a brief battle uh, with cancer, um, and he basically released a statement when they were all by his side in his final days. Uh, Roger Moore was a very, very classy individual and also an ambassador for UNICEF for many years. I don't think you can say more than that to show what a fine man that he was. And they're having a private funeral that was held in Monaco. So, again, uh, my best wishes and condolences go out to the family and loved ones of Roger Moore. Thank you for all the entertainment, playing the great James Bond and many other roles as you did. And uh, that's that. So we have a passing. And then we have also, uh, don't call it a birth, call it a birthday. But I turned 60 years old last Sunday, had a great party. TJ, I'm sorry you didn't make it. You were missed. Um, Had my family, close personal friends. Uh, some of the world of MMA came in, Boss Rutan, his beautiful wife, Karen, Chuck Waddell, his beautiful wife, Heidi, Brittany Palmer came down. It was just, it was awesome. It was right on the boats. It was outside. Couldn't ask for better weather, better food, and better company. I had a great time. Julie great Kedzie time. and I wish you a happy birthday, uh, cage side from uh, Invicta Fighting Championships. Yes, you did. I saw the tweet and I was very taken with it. I retweeted it out and said a little thank you on there. And uh, thank you, Julie. I sincerely appreciate that. And TJ, I know you wanted to be there, but like all of us, you got to work and uh, work takes precedent. And that's really the way it comes down. Bottom line. Sometimes work takes precedent. This time, unfortunately, it had to. But someday soon, Buff, I'll be there. I promise. Someday soon. And I hope so. <laughs> okay, now, uh, the UFC had their Fighter Summit week. A lot going on over there. What, oh, man. Jeez, Louise. I mean, all these things in the last couple weeks, the the fist punches being thrown, the, the verbal battles happening. Uh, last thing I would ever expect to happen, quite honestly, was this incident with Chris Cyborg Justino. And she's been cited by the Las Vegas Police Department, not arrested, cited. Uh, it is in the hands of the district attorney and attorneys now. Uh, probably go into a civil lawsuit if, if Angela, how do I say Angela's proper name? Uh, Angela Magana. 
Magomed, just exactly yeah. as, it's, as, it's, as it's spelled. Uh, a strawweight fighter with the UFC, uh, Chris Iber, of course, you know, fighting at uh, featherweight, let's say. Um, punched her in the face. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's I got to tell you, though, TJ. I don't know I, if it was a punch or a slap. The video I saw, you could only hear the strike. Uh, definitely some, um, you know, contact, uh, contact made that warranted uh, the, the LVPD to uh, cite her for battery. Was it battery? Is that what it was? Uh, cited for battery, yes, for yeah. punching the fighter. And there was another UFC fighter, I forget who it was, that claimed she has a better video, but she's tweeted out, TMZ, how much do you want to pay for it? So, whatever. But the bottom line is, is that, A, you never punch somebody in the face. You never slap them. Uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words should never hurt me. But I got to say, it's pretty. I didn't really enjoy reading the comments that Angela made when Chris was over there at the hospital visiting the kids and you no. know her dad suffering from cancer that was probably a hard pill for Chris to swallow yeah. not oh. worthy of the of the slap or punch whatever it was but a very hard pill to swallow no matter who you are I, I mean think. I mean you and I have always preached you know taking the high road and if Chris wants to get her in her face and and say that she has every right to do that but you know don't don't cross that line this is one thing that I have a problem with though Bruce and and it's very true uh, when I look at instances like this um, so obviously there's video of it. There's multiple camera angles. Uh, two fighters were getting in the face of one another. Instead of pulling out your phone, maybe you could defuse the situation, people. Yes, I agree with that. And it all would take is somebody to step in the middle and it would be diffused because I think it would easily be diffused. Yeah. That's what I, I know that's exactly what I would have done had I been there. I'm not trying to take like, oh, I would have done that. But honestly, I would have. I would have just no, stepped you, right in. You would have because you're not like everyone else. You know, like these people just grab their phones and I swear they're waiting for that TMZ moment. They're waiting for no question for, you know, the, the to make money off of a video like knock it off. Like I, I understand I understand sometimes doing it if you feel like you it's really far away and you're capturing a moment on video or something like that. But if there is someone that is, you know, showing uh, behaviors of someone that is, is very volatile um, and, and things could boil over, uh, don't film the damn thing. Go in and insert yourself and, and actually do something good. Now, you know, we've talked about how you stood up for, I believe it was a lady in distress with her boyfriend who was beating on her, and then she started mm -hmm. beating on you. Like, obviously, there's some risk there. Um, mm -hmm. But w with that in mind, um, I'd much rather get punched in the face by, uh, you know, someone that, that is illogical than try not to save them. And um, in this case, uh, someone could have stepped up and, and really done a lot of favors for Chris Cyborg and Angela Magana. And if you're just a fan and, and you step up and you do it, man, you get a hell of a story. Be like, look, I defuse a situation between two of my favorite fighters in the UFC. Well, my big thing is, um, is the fact that, again, I get back to the role model image. Yeah. I get back to the fact that fighters should be the classiest they can possibly be restrain themselves as much as they can. And of course, if you got to throw down, throw down for the proper reason, somebody puts their hands on you, somebody assaults a loved one, whatever the case might be right. in an extreme situation, I would have stepped in basically to diffuse the situation for the main reason that I don't like this kind of publicity for the UFC. I had a hard time reading the publicity recently, whether it sells more pay-per-views or not. I do not like well, the, the, the cocaine talk and this yeah. talk and that talk. We are, 
our people are warriors, they're athletes, they're respected, we're in mainstream sports, and they're supposed to be role models. Right. Keep it as such. Period. And, and we've talked about this during the bottle incident with with uh, Nate Diaz and, and Conor McGregor. Like, this isn't a hard stance on something that is insignificant. This is something that you and I have really, really driven home. I mean, even back to Ronda, given, you know, the middle finger and, and things mm-hmm. like that. You, you've all, I mean, you really want to talk about it. I mean, the first time I think we talked about role models, uh, probably episode one or two, honestly. Uh, and we've done, you know, nearly a decade of these podcasts. So uh, with all of that in mind, like I know some people say that uh, people tend to turn a blind eye to situations like this that gain money, especially in the pay-per-view market. That, that has never been your mantra. You have always said that the athletes that comprise the UFC roster need to hold themselves to a higher standard. And, uh, you know, this is this is another one of those things. Now, I'm not mad at Chris Cyborg for getting upset. I think she had every right to be upset. I'm uh, not mad at her either. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you just you can't you can't cross that line. And if she needed some help uh, not crossing that line, I wish somebody would have stood up and helped her. Exactly. But it is what it is. And now it'll play out. And. You know, is uh, Angela going to go forth with a civil suit, try to make some money, uh, whatever? We'll, we'll see where it pans out. I just hope it all calms down and goes by the wayside, shall we say, and move on to bigger and better things that mean much more in life to everybody watching. On another note, getting away from that, I I am uh, excited about the fact that the UFC is doing great things like bringing 500 fighters in for their retreat, uh, entertaining them with the concert by Snoop Dogg, everything else, uh, bringing in... Giving the fighters a chance to communicate and talk about their feelings about the Reebok deal and and sponsorships. I was reading a bunch of uh, the material this morning, and whether some were outspoken or not, this is, again, a great sign of the way the UFC is treating their fighters, no matter what complaints, no matter what benefits, no matter how happy everybody is. The bottom line is they're bringing them all in, and that's what a retreat is all about. So kudos to the UFC for treating the fighters first class and bringing them in no matter what happened during that situation. And I hope after this week of whatever they've learned and whatever they got to discuss, that the fighters become better for it and the management of the UFC becomes better for it from the fighters that they cater to. So it's a good, I hope it was a good thing all the way around for everybody because that's not done a lot by companies. That's the equivalent of a company like IMG sending all their you know agents and everybody to retreat to basically pump up your staff and make everybody feel unified as a group, whether they have complaints or not. That's that's gives them the chance to voice them and hopefully get the proper answers to calm every question down. Looked like a hell of a party. Hell of a party. Which I, I, I would have loved to have been there. I would have loved to have been part of it. As a matter of fact, I was in Las Vegas on Monday doing a motivational speech for a large corporation called Dynetech. Um and uh, had a great time there. And I, I actually thought, you know what? God, I should have called the UFC. I would have loved to have gone over and just visited everybody and said hi to everybody. That would have been a very cool thing. But one thing I did do, I was on my way to Red Rock later. I went and played some poker with some friends at Red Rock. I passed by the new UFC offices. Oh, yeah. Oh, holy cannoli Batman. It's a city on itself. I didn't go in. It's two huge buildings, TJ, with big red logo UFC on it. Awesome stuff. Correct awesome me if I'm stuff. wrong. Is it is it right out the 215? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're right. Yes, it is. I yeah. was on the freeway when it passed by. Yeah, I haven't uh, been there yet, um, but I had the rough rough idea of where it was in relation to everything else in Vegas, and that sounds like a good spot too. It sounds like it's a uh, uh, you know away from a lot of the traffic, so the fighters that want to go work out of that performance. Uh, training center they're going to have that opportunity and not have to deal with the uh, general uh, insanity of uh, of vegas because sometimes i know vegas isn't that big of a city in the grand scheme of things but 
traffic will destroy you sometimes if you get in the wrong area at the wrong time. No question. I've been involved in that too, but um, very easily accessible. Mark Radner um, uh, texts me. You know, he, he loves his new office. He goes, it's just an amazing amazing thing they put together so good for the ufc you know bottom line i don't know how many employees they have but my gosh it looks like they could house a thousand in what i looked at those buildings were huge it's hard for a multi-billion dollar company to get a building uh with room to grow in but they've done it they have done it well if summer were just one day long it'd be safe to say that we are finally in the twilight of summer but that doesn't mean that people still aren't having a good time while the weather's Nice and warm and, uh, you know, a lot of get together still to be had. And one thing to keep in mind, I think, is, you know, be smart, be safe when you're out there celebrating the final days of summer. Lots of barbecues, lots of parties to go to. And everybody knows the risks of driving drunk. I mean, think about it. You can get in a crash. People get hurt or killed. Right. But let's take a moment to look at some really surprising statistics. One thing I want to point out, well, almost 29 people in the United States die every day in alcohol impaired vehicle crashes. TJ, that's wild. That's one person every 50 minutes. Bruce, it's completely completely avoidable. I mean, think about all the consequences that come with drinking and driving. You know, you could hurt yourself, you could hurt someone else, you could lose your job. I mean, financially, uh, you want to talk about this not being a good decision. I mean, this can really hurt you and your family. A lot of things are going to happen. Right. A lot of legal expenses and you probably will get arrested. You just don't want to think about those things. So plan a safe ride home before you start drinking. Designate a sober driver. We talk about it all the time. If you feel that you can't drive, it's very simple. Call a taxi. If someone you know has been drinking, take their keys. Arrange for them to get a sober ride home. That's called doing a good deed for a day, folks, because we all know the consequences of driving drunk. And, you know, if you're a little bit buzzed, you think it's no big deal. No, you're drunk, and it is a big deal. So simply put, Drive sober or get pulled over. All right, TJ. Um, let's see. We've got Robert O'Neill about to come on. So uh, do we need to take a break or do you want to just give him a quick call? How do we do it? Let me grab him right here. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest on right now, a former United States Navy sailor, a former U.S. Navy SEAL and special warfare operator. I have on and I'm honored to have on and pleased to have on Robert O'Neill. Robert is best known for having fired the headshots that killed Osama bin Laden during the raid on his a bad, a bad compound back uh, May 1st, 2011. And he's known for much more than that, which we're going to discuss. Robert, how are you? I am well, Bruce. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I have to say it was truly an honor to meet you. Um, TJ, Rob and I both spoke at a summit conference uh, last week here in Los Angeles. I had the chance to sit down with them. I was fascinated by Rob. And I think it's a kudos to our show to for Robert to bless us with his appearance on the show. Um, Robert, there's a lot of questions that I have. A lot of people, you know, obviously with what you're famous for, amongst all the other fine things you've done behind the scenes in the raid uh, that, you know, that killed Osama bin Laden. I have to focus on that for a second in the beginning. But before I do, can you tell us a little bit more about what drove you to go in to become a U.S. Navy SEAL? Because if I read correctly, you originally sought to become a sniper and enlist as a U.S. Marine. That was your first choice. Am I wrong in that? No, that's actually correct. Um, I wanted to join the Marine Corps, like you said, because I I had two friends that were Marines, and I loved the way they looked when they came home. They were just so confident and so fit, Uh, just Marines. they, 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 They were two years older than I was in high school, and they left as kids and they came back as men. And I loved that. Um, and I decided on a whim, you know, I, I was never going to join the military. It wasn't like it was a lifelong dream. I, uh, I got dumped by a girl and decided to leave town. That was exactly what happened. And I thought the Marine Corps sounded awesome. And I went to join the Marine Corps to be a sniper. And just as luck would have it, 
um, you know, it's better to be lucky than good sometimes. The, the Marine recruiter was literally out to lunch, and the Navy guy was there. And the only reason that I went in to his office was because my two Marine buddies that I just mentioned said that the Marine Corps is actually part of the Department of the Navy. It's just department. So I walked in there to ask him where he was, and he asked me why, and I said, I want to be a sniper. He told me I could be a sniper in the Navy. All I had to do was become a SEAL first. He didn't really get into that. Um, but he, he talked me into it. I signed up to be a SEAL before I even learned how to swim. So it was uh, quite an adventure from there. That's awesome. And as, as a matter of fact, yeah, I remember you told me that. You, you didn't even know how to swim yes. when you went in, which no, is phenomenal. That, that blows me away because of the training you had to go through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could keep myself alive in the, in the pool or in a lake, but I, I'd never, I don't think I'd ever been in the ocean. I didn't know any technique at all. And I had about five months to learn before I shipped out to um, – Great Lakes, Illinois for boot camp. And I was fortunate to have, a, I had a buddy that did know how to swim and he taught me. So I was, you know, marginal at best when I got to the Navy. That's, that's awesome. You know, one of the reasons I'm very familiar with the fact that uh, the Navy is involved with the U.S. Marines is because my father, who I lost nine years ago um, in World War II, enlisted in the Navy actually uh, a year earlier than he should have. He went in before he was actually 18. And then uh, he left there and became a U.S. Marine, also serving in World War II and then in Korea, and was the drill instructor and also a brig sergeant at Camp Pendleton uh, in the tail end of his career, where he and my mom lived on base for a while. So I had a lot of experience with Marines, and, and I, I know that for a fact, because they, they basically are together. They are they are kind of one, not one and the same, but they share the same, how do you say that? They share the same... Uh, well, it's the same department, and I mean, you know, there's obviously uh, inner service rivalry. So I think the best way it's ever been put is when the Marines say, uh, "Whenever we need to go somewhere to fight, you boys always give us a ride." <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> it's uh, no, that's the same. The Marines and uh, Marines when they they're, they're Marines are known for amphibious landings. They've been uh, known since uh, the, you know th- that's what they did even when it, their birthday in 1775. They're older than the country. Um, right. They, they do amphibious landings, and the Navy is always the one that gets them there. So the Navy guys will drive them in. The Marines are the troops that get out. So, that, yeah, they've been connected. Because uh, the, the, well, the Navy's birthday is in October of 1775. Marines is in November, so right around the same time. Gotcha. All right. Now, the, the big question or the, the something that all our listeners would like to hear about, including myself and TJ, beyond what we already know, in the raid on Abadabad, if I, Abadabad, if I'm saying that correctly, back in 2011, uh, you are the one that is credited with firing the headshots that killed Osama bin Laden. Before we go into a description, if you may, of walking into that room in that brief moment when that happened, how much preparation did you go through before you went on that raid? We we were told about it, who it was, th- three weeks approximately, three weeks before we launched. Uh, they didn't tell us at first who it was, but it took us maybe a day and a half to figure out exactly what it was and then we were i mean w- once they confirmed it then we were just ready to go then we from the time they told us we we were like okay can we go now um obviously they didn't they wanted us to train up on the site not because they wanted our tactics to get better but because they wanted the powers that be to see us actually training so we could like a proof of concept we, we said we can do it now you can see us do it just so they were confident that we could um, so we don't need it, but we, you know, we trained for about, we prepared for about two, two total weeks, uh, on training sites. And then we went overseas and waited for a few days to get the green light from the president and then launch. Now, when you do the preparation, um, the Intel that you have, are you able to recreate as best as possible, the compound? So, you know, exactly the doors and the rooms that you have to go into, or are you going in there cold, uh, doing well, a search? They, 
they knew what the compound looked like. So they, the outside. And so they created a, a mock-up training site that had the same um, measurements as the actual compound in Pakistan. No, they couldn't tell what was on the inside of every uh, structure of each house, but that's actually good because I've learned from experience, you don't want to think you know what everything looks like inside because once you get in, everything's going to change. You don't want to go into a, into a, a door or situation where, okay, I know when I go through here, there's going to be a hallway to the right, and then there's a hallway to the left. Everything changes. So you just want to get into a spot and know the exterior, know what's certain, and don't speculate. Um, go in there and let your tactics take over. Do what, what uh, you know, this guy goes this way, I should go that way. He covers this angle, I need to cover this way. And, you know, worry about your 45% of your field of fire, let everyone else do their jobs. Um, so, but we were as prepared as possible because we were able to see the exterior. We knew how we were going to try to come in. We thought about contingency, everything from what we would call a squirter, people running out of the houses. Uh, if they ran out and got into cars, who would do what? Uh, we even talked about what would happen in a worst case scenario, which is if the helicopter crashed in the front yard, which it actually did. So we were, I mean, we were as ready as possible and then everything went, uh, went different. Hey, can, can I, can I jump in here, Bruce, real quick? I just yeah, have a question. Sure. I mean, before we get to the... I mean, the end of the story, which may very well be the beginning of your story today, Rob, I want to go back to the prequel, uh, if you will. Where were you on that morning on September 11th, 2001? I was at SEAL Team 2, and I was forward deployed in Europe. To uh, We had a unit in Germany, in Stuttgart, Germany, and I was uh, in the operations center uh, typing emails and just watching TV. An operations center, it's, like a, it's basically an office without um, windows. And you just kind of uh, type in emails, going over what we're going to do for training. And Germany is like six or seven hours ahead of us uh, here on the East Coast. Um, so normal day. And so when, when you know, it, it's a little bit in the afternoon and when it goes to breaking news, and you see the North Tower was hit and you're kind of looking around at each other and wondering how in the world on a clear day, you know, it's like everybody else. On a clear day, how did it, that's not a test. That's a big building. So that's a big gas. It means a big plane. You're talking, you see the second explosion and then instantly... It must have been 30 seconds. One of the seals in the room said Osama bin Laden and said Al Qaeda. And then we just realized that everything just changed. We don't, you know, forget the training stuff that we were planning. Now it's time to go to war for real. And uh, we just a very serious, very focused uh, attitude across the board as far as uh, special warfare was concerned. Now, can you uh, walk us through um, when you walked into that building and you walked into that room? Can you walk us through for us laymen to sure. get a feel for what it took and what you went through? We, I'm talking, uh, I'm talking we, about the Bin Laden, the Bin Laden raid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we when we landed, nothing worked the way it was supposed to. I was part of the team that was going to go to the rooftop, so we were going to land on the outside and then let out some snipers and a, a dog and uh, an interpreter, and then the rest of us, which must have been seven guys, were going to get on top of the roof. You know, the helicopter would drop us off there and try to get onto, there was a, um, a balcony we were going to jump onto to the third floor, and we were pretty sure Bin Laden would be on the third floor. While this was happening, the, the other team was in a fast rope, which is where the helicopter would have hovered in between Bin Laden's house and the guest house, and guys would have got out on both sides. Uh, that didn't happen, obviously, because that helicopter crashed in the front yard, so they just let us out, and we knew we needed to start the fight. We did a couple uh, breaching efforts and got into the compound. The other helicopter, even though it crashed in the front yard, the guys, unbelievably, no one got hurt because the pilot was such a hero, both pilots. And they were already engaged in a few fights. They'd killed a few terrorists. And so I went, uh, my team went right to the front door of the main house where we thought Bin Laden was. When we entered the main entry, we already had guys in there. 
moving down a long hallway and doing what we do had done hundreds of times in war and thousands of times in training, just clearing the spaces, clearing the rooms and moving the train, the line of guys forward to where they saw a door they were breaching, you know, which means they were trying to open it using different methods, uh, got up to explosives. They finally opened it. And then we found a, uh, a stairwell going up the female analyst and it actually, well, there was one female in particular that was the most sure of what would happen in there. She said there was a, you'll find a stairwell. Someone on the stairwell will be Khalid bin Laden, his 20 or 21 year old son. When you see Khalid, that's Osama's last line of defense. So you need to handle him however you handle him. And then you're going to have a shot at the big guy is the way she put it. So we got to the stairs. I was still about eight guys back, seven or eight guys back in the line going up the stairs. Um, the guy in front ran into Khalid. They ran into each other and Khalid sort of jumped behind some cover, which was like a banister. And I watched the, um, the point man sort of whisper to Khalid. He said his name and he said, come here in two different languages. I believe it was Urdu and Arabic, which Khalid understood both, which confused Khalid. So he came back out of cover. He was armed. The men uh, uh, eliminated the threat by shooting him. And then we continued up the stairs to the second floor. I was still seven or eight guys back when we, when we got to the second floor. Everybody except the first man started to move to the left and right. There were two different spots that were, needed to be cleared. So everybody kind of went off to do what we always do. You always clear unknown areas before you, you move on. So the, all the guys between myself and the point man started clearing. So there was two of us left pointing up the stairs. At the top of the stairs to the third floor where we knew Bin Laden would be, there was a curtain. There was a, a sh- shielding, not shielding, but it was in the way of a hallway. But there was definitely a curtain there at the top of the stairs. He started to talk a little bit, he being the point man, saying we need to get up through those curtains right now because they're putting on vests. Meaning he assumed, he could see people moving back and forth. He assumed they were putting on suicide vests because they're going to defend Bin Laden or help him martyr himself. Uh, he was very convincing, so I I, um, I I remember thinking it wasn't bravery. It was just, you know, we're going to get blown up now, and I'm tired of thinking about it. So I squeezed him on the shoulder just to indicate we need to go up. So we went up the stairs. He got to the top. He pushed the curtain aside and sort of tackled the people he saw moving that he assumed were wearing the vest. So he basically jumped on a grenade that didn't go off. He gave his life for the guy behind him wow. to try to shield as much of the blast he could. It was incredible. I remember thinking how brave it was as I watched it. And then I turned to the right, and then um, Osama bin Laden was standing there about three feet in front of me uh, with his hands on his wife's shoulders, and he was sort of pushing her toward me. And I did, I did a quick target identification. You know, he's, uh, he's 6'3", he's tall, he's skinnier than I thought. His beard is shorter than I remember. It's gray hair, but that's his nose. That's Osama bin Laden. He's not surrendering. He's a suicide bomber. I need to treat him as such. So that's when I, um, I engaged him, and I shot him in the face twice, and then once more on the ground. Because that's how you need to handle a suicide bomber. Uh, I've dealt with them before. They're they're in. Uh, there's stories of suicide bombers in the book, the operator that I wrote, and it's it's they're so fast, it's so loud and permanent that if you don't handle it now, they're gonna blow up. Uh, he turned out not to have a vest, but I shot him. Um, his wife was there. And I had to shoot over her, so I moved her to the bed. I saw <clears throat> standing off to my left in front of the bed was a one of the children, a three year old. Son, I, I, and as a father, I remember thinking, you know, this poor kid has nothing to do with this. So I picked him up and the next to his wife on, or his his mom, who's Bin Laden's wife, on the bed. And, and other seals are entering the room at this point, and and 
that's when it kind of hit me. So I'm, I'm standing there and one of the seals who had been in a gunfight just before downstairs, he, he walked up to me and he said, Hey, are you okay? And I said, yeah, um, what do we do now? And he laughed and said, well, now we go find the computers, man. We, we do this every night. We've done it hundreds of times. And I smiled and he said, yeah, you just, uh, you just killed bin Laden. Your life just changed. And that's kind of when it sunk in. But about that point, we realized that it was, you know, if we, we wanted to be here on the ground a certain number of minutes, we're not quite there yet. The house hasn't blown up yet. We can gather some intelligence and we might, we might pull this off. So then right. we started clearing it, and then we, get, we got on the helicopters with as much as we could get and the body once we identified him, um, and then we, we took off and started heading towards Afghanistan. And then 90 minutes left, we can, we can do this. That's awesome. It's, it's amazing to hear you describe it. And again, I'm, I'm actually just so honored even talking to you, and thank you so much for ridding us of this horrific individual. Two questions uh, on, on that, Robert. What did happen? to bin Laden's body. I mean, is that as what actually did? Cause there's always been a question out there. Yeah. It's, 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 there's going to be questions and I, and I get it. I understand. I mean, you know, they, you hear the conspiracy theories about him having a dialysis machine, which wasn't true or, or him dying in 2001, which wasn't true. And also never the picture, you know, of, of, of the face and, and never a body. I understand. But what actually happened, we brought him back. We flew him to Jalalabad, Afghanistan. Nobody, there have been stories of mutilation, all that crap. None of that happened. Uh, we showed him to uh, the Admiral, Admiral McRaven, who was running this thing. Showed him to the, the agency and government analysts. Uh, and then we flew to Jalalabad. They, or sorry, from Jalalabad to Bagram. Uh, the FBI was there, several other agencies. We gave him all of our intelligence that we gathered. They did uh, a bunch more tests on uh, bin Laden's body. Once it was confirmed, then we told the president. We uh, handed him off to some rangers some army rangers they put him on an aircraft and flew him to a ship and then he was he was buried at sea in the persian gulf and that's i mean it's the simplest answer and that's usually what happens i've been involved with a lot of things where there's been conspiracy theories and what i found is the most complex crap never happened the simplest thing you think could have happened happened and that's what it is in this case um i think personally uh there's been enough time that because initially we didn't want to show the picture because you know, of uh, an uprising and people getting violent. They're pretty violent. We've seen them in Manchester just recently. They still hate us. Um, I think that the pictures probably should be released. We have them. They're on Capitol. They're in the CIA. Um, Inevitably, in my opinion, it's going to come down to somebody needing votes and proof of the bin Laden raid will come up and then they'll just release the pictures. But, I mean, there are pictures on the Internet now. They're not real. They're Photoshop that are real are horrific there sometimes i mean being in combat it doesn't bother me but i do assure you that sometimes justice is served and the average citizen doesn't need to know what it looks like because it's not pretty and i i agree with you uh, very much on that statement so now with the recent thing that happened in manchester england the other attacks that have happened what do you think is the future that we have to look forward to in America? I mean, I have a very pessimistic viewpoint of what we're going to be looking forward to, but ISIS attacking America with the, what I estimate is thousands of cells living here. Do we need to prepare more as citizens and especially as a government for what could happen in the we, future, in your opinion? Yeah. And Bruce, I, I share the same, I don't say pessimistic, I say realistic. Um, it's, there's, there's cells in all 50 states. They're out there, they hate us, and it's the ideology, it's not the weapon. It's not the gun, it's not the truck, it's the ideology, it's the person willing to do it, the person who has been taught that if they just blow up these little kids right now, they go right to paradise. And that's mm-hmm. what they think. 
Uh, and you know, I mean, you work in the UFC. Look at look at the crowds there. I mean, there's a target. Um, Absolutely. Any sporting, we all go to sporting events. I, I'm going to go to a race this weekend. There's there's a they're, they're all targets, and we're they're just going to the further the further we move the perimeter of security out, they're going to hit there. So the way forward, I mean, a lot, like even like the, the the mayor of London said, well, this is just part of life. No, it's not. We, what we need to realize is that this is a small group. They are radical Sunni Muslims. We need to say that right off the bat. Um, it's going to be offensive, but it's not Islamophobic. It's real. And we're going to need help. As far as ISIS and Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab, the Khorasan, we need help from Sunni Muslims that want peace. And there are a lot more of them that want peace than don't. But we need the help from those clerics, those scholars, to stop the radicalization process. Who is putting out the hate and how do we get rid of them? We need to uh, – uh, I mean, it's, it's going to be a – I would much rather, as opposed to, um, you know, it, it will be a, a new way we're living, different than a few years ago. I would rather it be where we silence someone's free speech if they're spewing hate like that, and, uh, and I mean real hate. Not, I mean, I'm talking like death to Jews, death to America type stuff. Get rid of the radical cleric. Stop teaching children, you know, stealing their innocence by teaching them how to behead people. Those are the problems. I hope we can go that way, but. But we're all in this together, the, the, the Muslims, the Jews, the Christians, the, the atheists. We're all in this together because this radical version of the, the Wahhabis, the Wahhabis are coming out of a certain part of Saudi Arabia. We are all infidels and apostates to them, and they want to kill us all. You know, Rob, I, I, I enjoy the way that you speak and, and choose your words. Um, but it, it, I find it funny that anyone thinks that saying that radical Islam can be offensive because – Ra- radical anything can be offensive. I'm afraid of. I mean, I'm yes. a, I'm I'm, a, yes. I'm I'm not afraid of Muslims, nor am I f- afraid of Christians. But I'll tell you, I'm afraid of radical Muslims, just like I'm terrified of radical Christians. I'm terrified of radical athe- atheists. You know what I mean? Like, like the radicalization of human beings is. I mean that that's that's where fear is is really warranted when when people don't think well because i mean just look up what it means to be uh you know radical and i'm telling you like it's it's a that's true and that's i agree i agree and anytime someone that believes in anything and says okay it's one thing to believe it that's fine but the second you want to harm someone else because they don't believe what you believe that's the problem and i agree with you it's everything it could be radical right which is believe it or not radical right is what radical islam is it could be radical left. It could be if you want to kill someone because mm. they don't think what you think. If there's no if, if there's no proof, yet they're going to kill you because you don't believe what they believe. That's the problem. Son of a gun. Right. I'm I'm afraid of radical optimists at this point. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but actually, you know, you know that's, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. But historically speaking, uh, the wars between religious beliefs has created more bloodshed in the world's history than anything. Anything. And it's it's just tough. I mean, and you're right what you're saying about radical. Now, what is your opinion on the current state of Iraq and the Afghanistan wars? Is sending more troops really going to make a difference? Sending more troops to get rid of the Islamic State as they know it. Yes, that's important because that's that's a lot of their um, that's their, what they think the prophecies. The prophecy is going to be, you know, we get the Islamic State, we get the capital, and then what they said was that the Romans, as they call us, um, or the Crusaders, were going to meet in, in, in um, not, not Raqqa, which is the capital, but up in Dabiq, which is northwestern Syria. Uh, Dabiq has been taken back by Turkish forces along with some other militant groups, which is a whole different conversation we can have, but it's proven to be wrong, and Raqqa is falling. 
So mm-hmm. they're learning that this ideology now is not what they thought would be the caliphate is going away. So yes, we need troops, a coalition. I would love to see a Sunni led coalition at first. We're going to need Sunnis to defeat this Sunni version of radical Islam. Then you're going to need to deal with it. You know, we, it's a very, very fine line because you've got the radical Shia out of um, I, Iran and we can't show that we're on one side or the other. We will eventually, and I don't know, uh, this is a much broader conversation, how to get the Sunni and the Shia to live together, which they have before. Um, but yes, we need a coalition boots on the ground with Sunni-led for now to get rid of this ideology. Then we need the Sunni clerics and scholars to stop with the hate speech. Um, so, we, you know, like I said, we need, like uh, President Trump just went and met with about 50 leaders from different uh, uh, Muslim countries, not Arab, Muslim countries, and you know, proof that, hey, we're not um, Islamophobic. There's, there's no Muslim ban, but we all need help. We need help. Everyone, we're all in this together. Like, I get asked a lot about, well, you wrote a book about killing bin Laden. Aren't you worried that you're a target? Well, I am a target, but we're all targets. Um, right. I, I can admit it because I know I am, but it's just, the, the people who didn't think they were targets were the two moms who were waiting to pick up the 15-year-old girls at an Ariana Grande concert, and now they're dead. Um, yeah. The realization that, that we're at war, whether we like it or not, and they know they're at war with us. So, um, yes, we need boots on the ground, but education that should have started a long time ago um, need, will help win this. Because, I mean, yes, okay, the, every religion has done bad stuff to people, and people bring up the Crusades. That's fine. There were the Crusades, and they're bad, and they were violent and horrible, but we're not, we don't have a lot of people running around saying, hey, we need to live today like we did during the Crusades, but that's what the radical Sunnis are doing. They need to li- we need to live now like Muhammad did. That's 1,400 years old. You know, A lot's happened since then. Also, right. too, one thing that's interesting to me is a lot of people seem to think that this is a war uh, you know, waged by radical Islam on Christians, and it's like Muslims died in 9-11. Muslims die in probably nearly every uh, terror attack. The, like, the, vast, the vast majority of people killed by radical Islam are Muslims. Right, and you know, it just it, it bothers me because I see some people that are like, oh, I'm atheist, I'm agnostic. It's like, that doesn't make you less of a target. You, you just have to be okay. at the wrong place at the wrong time. That's all. That's it. Robert. Yeah, not, not believing in God is just as bad as believing in the wrong God, according to these, a lot of these terrorists. <laughs> true, true, true. Robert, as a member of the U.S. Navy, um, you were involved in, uh, when I was reading, more than 400 missions. You were in the mission to save Captain Richard Phillips during the, uh, the Marsk, Alabama hijacking. You're also in the Operation Red Wings, you know, which helped save Marcus Luttrell, which the film Lone Survivor was based on. I was able to go hear Marcus uh, talk. I've met him on a couple of occasions. I heard him talk recently the other week. Uh, out of all the missions you've been in, in which you've quoted that on 11 of those missions, you thought you would not return alive. What was, if you can say, in, after the end result, the most dangerous mission that you were on? The I, know they're all da- I know they're one, all dangerous. <laughs> the, the one that ended up being the most dangerous was when we were, I was running a small team in eastern Afghanistan Three years after Operation Red Wings, which was the where Lone Survivor was based on, and, and they shot down a helicopter, they killed twenty guys in the helicopter, and a bunch of different things. And uh, the guy that shot it down and led the ambush <clears throat> showed up. Um, however, intelligence finds people. I'm not going to get into it on the Pakistan side of the border, but but right in eastern Afghanistan. And I came up with a. I wanted to kill him. And uh, I came up with a plan to go after him. We couldn't obviously go into Pakistan, something that low level in the grand scheme. But we knew that if we could get him to pursue us, we could bomb him. If we had certain um, 
just, you know, uh, troops in contact, if we could see him, a positive identification, rules of engagement allowed to pursue inside a certain <clears throat> So I came up with a hasty plan to put some guys on the border, let him see us and have him attack us. Then we would bomb him, which again is a horrible idea. And nothing ever works out the way it works because it worked halfway. We got there. He started, his guys started pursuing us, but then we couldn't get air support. So it turned into a really nasty four hour gunfight and we had the low ground and we couldn't get air support. Um, this, this whole story is in the operator, but long story short, we ended up getting ambushed on three sides. Uh, it came down to very, very close combat when we finally got bombs to come in and we fought them back over the border. We ended up bombing, Inside of Pakistan, which I was pretty sure was within our rules of engagement, um, we ended up winning the fight and we flew back. But that's when it started to sink in. What if it wasn't? Because uh, a commanding general was waiting for me, an investigator, uh, and he said basically, "Well, you bombed Pakistan. We're not at war with them. We do have footage. There's going to be an investigation. So you're either going to get a silver star or you're going to prison for the rest of your life at Fort Leavenworth." So <clears throat> we waited three weeks for that decision. But we were at the point where there were tracers and bullets flying so close to us in the middle of the day. It was just a realization of if I get shot in the face right now, is it going to hurt? And then you die or do you just die? And then where do you go? And just a lot of weird feelings. But that, that was the most dangerous one. And that was the, uh, the closest I've ever been to not, not winning. Well, God bless you. Whoever your God is, God bless you. We're talking about that. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I, you as well. I, I know Thank we're you. running out of time. I just have one one more question too, Bruce, if, if you don't mind. No, no, go ahead. You're so clinical and surgical about doing what you needed to do, Rob. And I think that's years and years of training. But at the end of the day, the bottom line, you're talking about killing human beings. You are a human being. Um, yes. How Do you remember the moment where you sort of detached yourself from understanding, you know, what you were doing and, and made it more, you know, technical and, and, and protocol rather than taking the life of another human being. And also, too, to get to that level, can can do you still find people to be good, virtuous, wholesome creatures? Or have you sort of given up on the human race? Because I could see be, being being places that you've been and, and, and seeing what you've seen, uh, it's probably got to be hard to wake up the next day and be like, ah, oh, people are good. I, um, it surprised you, I think, but I found that most people are good. Most people want to have peace and most people get along with each other. Um, you know, I mean, the only times that I've seen is this is kind of funny when people are mean to each other is in transit. So like at airports or in traffic, Oh, you know, yeah. or like walking down the street, what, what people I, are just really doing their own thing. But like, even in some of the, some of the most gracious, um, welcoming people I've met have been in, in the Konar province in Afghanistan, have been in uh, uh, Al-Anbar province in Iraq. Uh, I'm talking about like going into someone's house that wasn't a target and th there's a man, a woman, and his family in there, and they're gracious to a bunch of guys in body armor at night with guns. Um, you know, having tea with people. I know I'm very optimistic about humanity. Um, and as far as killing people, I, I, I was fortunate. I've never, I've never killed anyone I didn't intend to kill, and I've, I've never seen a child get hurt. Um, so I'm fortunate, and I know I know people have been killed as collateral damage. I, I, I'm I'm fortunate. I don't have to deal with that. I don't want to know what it's like. I know people have, but um, I have I do have respect for the fact that even though the people I'm killing are trying to kill me, it is a human life. I recognize that. I'm fine with it because it's um, it's what you do, and uh, right. sometimes warriors get called to do what's right for the greater. And I really believe in a cause. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think about it. It's true, and I, I don't. I don't take it lightly. But it, it because we were so well trained and so well prepared, even before nine eleven, I ready to do it. Um, I'm, I'd love to help people that have seen collateral damage and had the wrong things happen or, or whatever. It's, I know it's out there, and there there are people that are that have suffered as as a result of, of the wars we've been through for a while. You know, PTS is a real thing, and uh, you know, anytime I can do anything to help anyone, I'm I'm in. That, that's that's great that you haven't seen anything like that, and you've been able to give back in the in the manner that you have. On the front about transit, yeah, I'm pretty sure my wife would start a world war if she could when she's in the driver's <laughs> seat. My goodness, <laughs> Rob. Uh, <laughs> Rob, are you allowed? Are you allowed to uh, walk around armed, like a like an ex police, like a retired police officer? I am, yes. And then, uh, and then I have other security stuff in place too. I, you know, I, I don't discuss it usually in, in public, but there, said I'm, I'm not afraid of it. I'm aware of it, so I do the best that I can to pr- be prepared. Very, very, very. I, I think that's totally warranted. Rob, I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank you for your service. You're a true American hero, not just to America, but to the world. Uh, your 52 decorations include two silver stars, four bronze star medals with valor device, a joint service commendation medal with valor device, three presidential unit citations, two Navy and Marine Corps commendations with valor device. My gosh, how heavy is that jacket when you put it on? <laughs> <laughs> it was, I'll tell you what, it was an honor every time I received one and, and to be picked to be part of some of the greatest teams ever assembled. It was, I was so happy to be with everyone, so proud of all the guys that I uh, serve with and those who continue to serve. They're out there right now doing, uh, doing what we need to do. Someone needs to call your ex-girlfriend and thank her for birthing an American hero. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is, I've been in touch with her since I got out of the Navy. She's very aware of it. It's, it's pretty funny that we can talk about it. And nothing wrong with that. Also, I encourage everybody. Uh, Robert published his book, The Operator, this year, uh, which you described the deployments we discussed much more in detail. I encourage everybody to buy the book, as I am going to, too. Rob, I have a personal invitation to you the next time you're in Los Angeles. I would like to take you out to a very fine meal, and we'll go out and have some laughs and drink some fine wine and just celebrate life. Because you, you, sir, deserve every celebration possible. And I thank you so, so much for your service, truly. Well, thank you, Bruce, for everything. That's awesome. I'll take you up on that. Apparently, one of the poker games, too. I'll do that. Ah, we forgot about that. We talked about it. Yeah, well, if you're in town Monday, <laughs> I got a big one on Monday. But I told you, when you come to town, give me a week's notice. I'll put it together, or I'll take you personally to a fine game. I promise you on that. Hey, hey um, Rob, okay, Rob, that, that the American hero deal doesn't work with Buffer on the Greenfeld battlefield, <laughs> my friend. He'll, he'll take yeah, it to I, you. I have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay check your arms at the door before we get to the poker table that's all I can say. <laughs> right on. Robert how do we get a hold of you on social media so people can follow you on Instagram and Twitter it's uh, at Mikhuya so that's M-C-H-O-O-Y-A-H and it's verified so if you put in Robert J. O'Neill it's verified but it's at Mikhuya thank you thank you so much and one last question my brother Brian sure. is a huge collector of uh, military as I am from World War II and on, honoring uh, you know the United States Marines and the Navy and stuff, and he had a question for you. He was wondering, uh, is it possible? Um, I think how did he put this? Uh, to get a a, a uh, like a Navy Seal medal, he would like to buy it. Is there something that honors the Navy Seals that that or where can we go or uh, possibly get it? He'd like to add it to his collection. I'm, I, honestly, I'm going to need to get back to you on that one. Um, I know that the NavySeals.com, they have stuff there, but as far as – I would check there. I, I don't I, – I should be better prepared for that. No, I, know that uh, I know that uh, RJOApparel.com sells some RJO stuff, but I don't have anything official. <laughs> no worries. I'll have them check. What is it, NavySeal.com you said? Yeah, try that out. 
Okay, absolutely, we'll do that because uh, we're, we're we're huge. Listen, we 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 thank every day that five men like you protect this great country. And I'm just going to say it again. I'm honored to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Robert. And I wish you nothing but the best in life. And thank you for everything you do for this great country of ours. Well, thanks, Sunday, Bruce. And I will be in touch. Have a great day. You got it. Take care, Robert. Absolutely. An honest to goodness American hero on its own. An honest American. Yeah. You know, we have uh, Brian Stan on the show, and we had Robert O'Neill on the show. I'm I'm just sort of sitting here. I don't. I can't describe the feeling I have right now, TJ. I. It's just amazing to hear him talk, and you know, I think great it, show. What I, can I say? I, I think that guys like Brian Stan and Robert O'Neill make us who have cool jobs just feel mundane and ordinary, and that's okay because without them, we wouldn't have our cool jobs, which just seem like mundane and ordinary things next to heroes. Exactly, exactly true. I encourage all of our listeners, I hope they get to listen to this show. This is definitely one of our better interviews of just just fascinating, fascinating on many, many different levels. But now we're going to take a little side trip. We're going to go into some news uh, and then we'll close out the show. Um, it's kind of hard to talk about anything else after that interview, but I want to fill the next 10 minutes here. Uh, Odell Beckham. You know the football player Odell Beckham? Yeah, of course. Uh, New York and, Giant, I believe, or former New yes, York Giant, yeah, at least. New York Giant. No, no, okay. New York Giant. Uh, the whole bit. He's been to UFCs. He loves the UFC, the whole bit. Uh, you know, everybody wants a Nike shoe contract. He just signed, uh, reportedly, a five-year Nike shoe contract, right? It's going to be worth more than $29 million Dang. to him. And if it gets pushed to eight years, it will be worth, with incentives, $48-plus million. Wow. 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 Yeah. No yeah. I don't think if the, I don't think if I had an it's time shoe it would probably, you know, make a hundred thousand, but my gosh, thir- 25, 30, 45 million is incredible. Good for you, Odell. You know, what it, you, you, know what, you know what it'll cost me to have a, uh, uh, a shoe sponsorship? You know, it'll take me to wear what? your shoe. What? Just give me a pair of shoes. There you go. That's all I need. <laughs> I'll wear them. TJ, do you uh, do you eat that nacho chips with cheese and all that stuff? You know that like you get in the movie theaters that liquid cheese I mean, they put I, on the nachos. I, have. I don't really like it. I can eat like one or two of those things. Believe it or not, for being a overweight person for most of my life, um, junk food is not something that I'm super into. Well, thank God for that. And I've never really I like real cheese. I mean, I have enjoyed it at Mexican restaurants. You know, the nachos and come out. I can't for some reason even think about eating what I see served as stadiums and movie theaters and stuff. Now I know why. Uh, would well, you believe it comes in a person? bag. It comes in a bag for one. Those things are gross. Well, like okay, it, well, there was a group of people, okay, that ate a nacho cheese sauce at a gas station outside of Sacramento, California, right? One of them's dead, and nine have been hospitalized with botulism after eating the nacho cheese sauce. Dang. More reasons why I'm never going to even touch it. I won't even touch it. Yeah. No way. That's just horrible. Well, I mean, another, that, that can happen in any way. Like, that can happen on sushi, to be honest with you. Um, well, the, the things that are coming out about sushi now, I'm I'm shying away from my, one of my favorite foods, except for certain things I'll eat in the sushi restaurant. I don't want to get any of those parasites in my body, because if you do, it gets horrible. Yeah. You know? Tape, and I think a tapeworm will take off like 20 pounds real easy, though, for you. Yeah, yeah continue to take off pounds, yeah. unless you get those things out, of those worms or whatever they are out. Yeah. Uh, the 2016 Olympic medals that were, um, you know, the Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, which uh, went off, you know, very, very well. I've never heard this before, TJ. Over 100 
of the Olympic medals have been returned due to rust and black spots that have developed on the medals themselves. But, but, but I think gold, gold and silver and bronze don't oxidize like that. Then the question is, what are they made out of? Not gold, silver, or bronze. Exactly. So I wonder if these medals were made differently for the, uh, the Olympics in Rio versus other Olympics. I've never read this in all the years I've been alive about medals being returned. Did they get, I hear about it being sold, right. but not returned. Did they get gold or metal and then just you know grab some spray paint? Uh, remains to be seen. We'll find out. And, you know, we always talk about surfing and my love, my favorite sport. I love UFC, of course. I love MMA, but my favorite sport is surfing. They measured in the Southern Ocean. They put these little uh, uh, monitors out there. They measured a monstrous 64-foot wave 400 miles south of New Zealand wow. uh, last Saturday. That's taller than a six-story building. That's crazy. That, would you surf it? No. No, I don't no. think so. I know, I, know, I know a couple guys that would. Really? As a matter of fact, yeah, my buddy uh, uh, G-Mac, who surfed the biggest wave already, I mean, he, he actually gets out there in a vest. He's got oxygen inside the vest. If he goes down too deep, Dang. he can get some air, you know, until he gets back up. Uh, he's been concussed numerous times like a fighter. Uh, but he is, he'll sit back, listen for the reports. He's got the, he's got the plane waiting. He's got the boats waiting. As soon as they know it's coming, as many great big wave surfers, boom, they're out there. It's a, it, it's a rare breed of individual that surfs big waves. We'll get him when live. he comes back. He's not coming back. <laughs> I got to have him on the show, too. He's a, he's a kick. Uh, Michael Jordan's USC, uh, excuse me, Team USA jersey is going up for auction. It could be one of the most expensive pieces of uh, Michael Jordan memorabilia ever. And God knows his stuff sells for a lot. Uh, he rocked this number nine jersey in the 1984 Olympics. Uh, it's in the gray flannel auction summer catalog. It's the only known jersey of its time. Uh, even though uh, the 84 team was an amateur-led team, they won the gold medal for the red, white, and blue. Uh, then we switched to pro ballers with the dream team in 1992. So basically, uh, Jordan's flu game shoes, the, the game that I was at, the uh, Utah Jazz, when they played the Chicago Bulls and he won game five, um, you know, uh, scoring nine points in the first half and scoring over 42, I think it was, in the second half. Those shoes sold for $104,000 in 2013. Uh, so the bidding starts at $10,000 for this jersey. And we will see. I've told you what his, his trading cards go for. It's, it's just amazing. I hear you know, he doesn't little- tip. I've heard that, too, which is, I mean, who knows what the reality is unless you're there and you see it for yourself. But I've heard that, too. But I do know he makes bets on the golf course. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's where the tips go. Well, maybe he just who never knows? has any cash left over. That's it's a good point. I think Michael Jordan's got plenty of money. His Nike contract. We talk about Odell Beckham. Michael Jordan's making monstrous money. Sure, no, no. no. But if you Nike. drop 10 G's in cash on the golf course, maybe you don't have like five, six bucks to tip somebody when you go inside or something. You know what I mean? Or. Or maybe, as much as I love Michael Jordan, maybe he's just cheap. Who knows? <laughs> I hope not. But Michael Jordan's one of my favorite professional athletes of all time. I, I can't say enough about uh, what he did in his sport. That's for sure. All right, TJ, another great show. We'll be back next week. Now, next week, I go to Rio de Janeiro. I don't know what you're going on, so we're going to have to figure out the proper time. I've got another guest lined up. We'll talk about it after the show. I just need to get a Every- car, Buffer. I wrecked my yeah. car two weeks ago. It's not, it's not fixed yet. It's, it's a nightmare. Why is it taking so long? Uh, because tow yards are shady, shady places. I got knocked I out get- in a car accident. Guy basically said he was a AAA guy. Not the AAA guy. Not, not uh, a thing. And then they wanted me to come down there. 
My car's in Chula Vista. I live in what the cool kids call the Inland Empire. It's too far for me to go. I don't have a car. To Uber down there is a lot of money. And then when I get there, I still won't have a car to drive back. Nightmare, nightmare things. But yeah, so hopefully it's all you know, rectified. That reminds me of a somewhat funny story involving my beautiful little mama. Can I tell this to you real oh, quick? Of course. Back in 19, or I was about 1980, okay? Um, we were out. We were at an opening for a clothing store. My partner had started over in Beverly Hills. So we're at the clothing store. My, tar- my car got towed. And we went to the towing place in Hollywood, uh, where it was at. And the guy was, that owned the towing place, and I was just trying to get my car, was so belligerent yeah. and so rude. And we got in a real verbal fight to the point that I thought he was going to throw at me and I was ready to throw down. I thought we were going to actually go at it right there in the parking lot. My little mom was watching. So I finally calmed the situation down. I turned down to my little mom. I turned around to my little mom. I go, Mom, are you okay? She goes, oh, I'm fine. She had her hand in her handbag. She pulled her hand up, which was caressing a pearl handle 25 caliber automatic oh that she used gosh. to carry in her handbag. Oh, my God. And she had, a, she had a great line. She goes, don't worry. I had you covered. <laughs> Can you believe oh, that? Geez. My little 411 mama. I loved it. It's like, it. it's like that old Sly Stallone movie, Stop or My Mother Will Shoot. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's listen, Mama Buffer, living with my dad, Joe Buffer, all the years she did. Trust me, you had to be tough. And my mom is definitely tough. 88, still looking beautiful. Not carrying the automatic for anybody listening. This is back, uh, back in the old days when I used to carry all the time myself. But I don't carry anymore. But I'm working on getting my closed weapons permit so I can. We've talked about that before on the show. Um Okay, everybody, thank you very much for all your voiceover requests and everything else. I say it every week, but I'm getting just so many incredible requests, really unique ones recently. So, again, go to BruceBuffer.com for any specialized recordings, championship intros, which can also be done on videos with green screen, uh, showing anything in the back you want. I've done about three corporate videos in the last – I did do three corporate videos last week, all very, very cool. Uh, Also for uh, personal appearances, my my motivational speeches and stuff, which I love to do. I'm always open to appearing when I can. I've had three appearances this month because I've only had one UFC. Might as well go do something else. And I will not be in Stockholm, but I am looking forward to being in Rio de Janeiro, uh, getting back to my beloved Brazil, seeing all the great fans of Brazil. I can't wait to see everybody getting back down there. And let's see, anything else? I think we're all good. Uh, TJ? Why don't you let everybody know again for the umpteenth time how to get a hold of TJ DeSantis and also where to send questions for our show. Uh, yeah, uh, TJ DeSantis at SureDog.com, S-H-E-R-D-O-G.com, should you want to ask Bruce a question. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at TJ DeSantis, uh, on Instagram, at TJ DeSantis. Uh, if there's any social media savvy types out there, not even social media, but if you know how to make things work on the Internet, help me. Uh, I've been told that I need a Wikipedia page, and it's very difficult to get a Wikipedia page approved. Uh, I don't want one personally, but apparently professionally, I need one. So if you can uh, get me approved on Wikipedia, uh, reach out. Maybe I'll even have a little reward for you. So uh, please, TJ DeSantis at SureDog.com. Well, TJ, if you can find out what the process is, I'll do it for you. I do have a Wikipedia page, which, quite honestly, I did not write. Somebody no, of else course wrote not. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's generally how that works. But apparently, yeah, they, I'm, not, I'm not a big enough deal to have someone write it for me yet. And uh, I've been told that uh, aesthetically it will... Uh, further my cause. So when they when they do write it, go over it because the person who wrote mine said that I was a green belt in Mexican judo, which I don't know what that is, but I am a green belt in judo, but not Mexican judo. I, I, didn't, I didn't even know. know there was such a thing. I had no idea, but I, I was able to go in and edit that one out because that's definitely a misnomer, uh, no question. All right, everybody, we'll be back next week. Uh, TJ, thanks so much. Great show. I'll talk to you next week. And uh, for those of you listening, please 
Be a role model to your sphere of influence. Treat everybody around you with respect. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Be honest. Be strong. Set your goals. Write them down. Educate yourselves on what you want to do. Choose that path and best be the best you can be on that path because life is about winning because, ladies and gentlemen, it's always time to win. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Buffer out. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to DeSantisProd at gmail.com. Hey, I'm Kayla. As a mom working from home, life is crazier than ever, especially on days like these. But I'm still ruling my day thanks to Metro. Metro gave me an awesome phone and tablet. Now my son can get his homework done on the tablet without needing to borrow my laptop. Plus, with Metro, Amazon Prime is included, so I can access great deals and discounts on school essentials and get them delivered in no time with unlimited free shipping, all while keeping an eye on my son to make sure he finishes his online practice tests before he starts watching his favorite Amazon originals. Right now, get a new phone and tablet on us when you switch to Metro, the number one brand in prepaid. Plus, enjoy high-speed data on both devices with one Amazon Prime membership included for just $75 a month. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. I'm Kayla, and that's how I rule my day with Metro. With new lines of service after rebate redemption plus sales tax and activation fee. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members on select rate plans. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 a month cost. Restrictions apply.